0: Hi, my friends who listen to Future Primitive. After a two week hiatus for moving, here we are again. And uh, I'm very, very happy to be with Megan Waterson. She has written many books, and I'll tell you about her now. She is the author of Reveal the Sutras of the Unspeakable Joy and the Divine Feminine Oracle. And she is the co-author of How to Love Yourself and Sometimes Other People. She is a feminist theologian with a Master of Theological Studies from Harvard Divinity School and a Master of Divinity from Union Theological Seminary at Columbia University. Megan facilitates Red Ladies, a community of radical love that lets her preach about female saints, mystics, gurus, and poets who aspire and touch us to live in service to love. She leads retreats and workshops on the Divine Feminine, Mary Magdalene, and the Soul Voice Meditation. Her work has appeared in media outlets such as the New York Times, Forbes, the Huffington Post, and Marie Claire. She lives with her old soul son and (laughs) exuberant goldfish Bob. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm holding in my hands her book, her latest book, which thrills me, Mary Magdalene Revealed. Well, welcome Megan and thanks for being with us. Megan. Thank you. Megan. Thank you. So, Megan, what I would love to start with is if you would tell us what what we have forgotten.
1: <laughs> that love is within us. Yeah. I think that's the most important thing that we've forgotten that Mary Magdalene helps remind us, especially in her gospel that we have a direct connection to the divine from within and that we contain our own answers.
0: Yes, yes. Perhaps you would tell us a little bit about the, the history of how the Gospel of Mary Magdalene uh, was found and you have been able to decode it.
1: It's been so fascinating for me as a scholar to research her gospel and why it was buried, uh, because it it wasn't so much lost. Lost feels, um, you know, when people refer to her her gospel as the lost gospel, it was really intentional. Her gospel was um, buried because there was an edict that went out in the 4th century for all... copies of her gospel to be destroyed. So what was happening around that time in the 4th century was that the uh, version of Christianity that had existed before then, so for the first several centuries, there was a radical version of Christianity that uh, challenged the Roman hierarchy and the, the cultural understanding that... Humanity is going to be ranked according to existence. So, for example, that a man is more worthy than a woman mm-hmm. that and and then rights and access to land and um, all, all of that hinges on that idea of our existence being ranked um, according to this hierarchy of existence. So the emperor, of course, would be at the tippy top mm-hmm. and, a, and a slave, for example, would be at the bottom. And what this form of Christianity challenged, for example, with um, the saint Thecla, who was a uh, early uh, apostle and she was a minister alongside Paul throughout the first century, Um, Thecla Really challenged that idea of that you had to be male in order to be an apostle, and she in her in the acts of Paul and Thecla, which dates all the way back to ninety a d um, she baptizes herself and she challenges all of these different forms of authority and power that exist outside of us you know that are represented in her story in different ways and so this this form of um, love of Christianity really challenged that that idea to the extent that it was suggesting a slave is as worthy of this love as the emperor. It it really made the first, the last and the last, the first. That's what this and then in the fourth century, when Constantine decided who was the current emperor, decided that Christianity was going to become the empire's religion. That form of Christianity had to become, it had to look a bit more like what the Roman hierarchy looked like. Mm -hmm. And so there was a council known as the Council of Nicaea Mm -hmm. where church fathers came together and they began to decide what this codified or institutionalized version of Christianity was going to look like. And they decided that women were not going to be a part of this form of Christianity. And so Mary's gospel uh, didn't fit in that new form of what of what Christianity was going to look like um, in becoming the state religion. And so any gospel that contradicted this idea that Christ uh, was really saying that. Um, The apostolic transmission or or the, uh, you know, the power, the authority to speak on behalf of Christ is is going to be a solely male uh, apostolic succession from men to men to men to men. Mm -hmm. Um, Any any gospel that challenged that was was ordered after that council of Nicaea later in the fourth Mm -hmm. century was ordered to be destroyed. So not just the Gospel of Mary, but also the Gospel of Philip, the Gospel of Thomas, and a lot of what, of the Gospels that are now referred to as the Wisdom Gospels um, or the Gnostic Gospels, they were all destroyed because they contained statements that were attributed to Christ that were very, very different from this idea that only men could have the power and the authority to speak on behalf of the divine and um and and a lot of other radical notions uh, that that we contain this love and direct connection within us so the gospel of mary was fortunately uh buried instead of destroyed by several uh monks at the time and um ended up being recovered in the 1890s in uh in an antiquities market in cairo because of uh um a scholar who came across it and recognized that it was ancient scripture mm-hmm.
0: yeah well here's the statement that apparently really um thundered upon you mm-hmm. and uh, it's i am she the lord now mm-hmm. that could be the most heretical statement of all times right Right. Speak about how it reaches your heart, and uh, and directs your life, Megan.
1: So, so before that, before I came across that statement, and that statement comes from the Thunder Perfect Mind, which it, which is another one of those gospels that was destroyed and buried, fortunately saved, you know, by some monks who refused to. Because it's so gorgeous. It's one of the most poetic, beautiful pieces of theological scripture I've ever come across. It's called The Thunder Perfect Mind. It is. And, and it is uh, to say that it, like I love that you said it 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 was shocking or it it reverberated in me. It, it felt electric when I read it. It felt like it actually rearranged my idea of what was possible and also... That to me it was like coming across truth itself, mm-hmm. truth. Truth in the sense that I always knew, that I always knew on some level that that doesn't need to be verified outside of me. I always knew that if God is God or love is love, mm-hmm. it includes all of us and everyone. Mm-hmm. Like there are no limits, mm-hmm. there are no qualifications. There are. It has to be so much more radical than anything. I had personally encountered by entering you know various churches and cathedrals I had not experienced it outside of me but in that moment I was in San Francisco I was in this little you know used bookstore which to me are magical little yeah. sanctuaries and I came across that statement and it literally changed the trajectory of the rest of my life because it began my my search. It began my career as a feminist theologian, which is obviously also a personal quest um, and a, an act of devotion, because that was the moment where what was outside of me validated what had always existed within me, which was a sense that love was so much more radical mm-hmm the ultimate is so much more radical than anything we have yet embodied or really fully envisioned within religion. Right.
0: Absolutely. So what does that mean to you, I am she, the Lord?
1: Well, uh, for me, it it took that... um, hierarchical, you know, if, if I'm holding up my, my arm right now, you know, and the emperor is at the tip of my fingers and a slave and women are down at my, my elbow, right? I am she, the Lord. What that does is it topples that whole hierarchy. And so, so that my fingertips are now at level with my elbow. And so it, so it means that no matter who you are, um, no matter where you had existed within that idea of you know the 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 worth of your life suddenly we are all now from from the least among us to the greatest among us we are all heart to heart eye to eye soul to soul there is an aspect of each one of us that renders us all equal inherently good inherently worthy so so to speak it topples the patriot
0: the Abrahamic religion yes. is like a domino effect
1: right exactly it it that's exactly
0: wow, wow I just want to slip in here this beautifully amazingly poignant fact that you write about, and that there's this seed bank I mean, I have to mm-hmm. cry when, yeah, tell us about the seed bank in Syria, because I would weep if I told it.
1: <laughs> so I, uh, I came across this um, haunting fact that there is a seed bank uh, where the world reserve of seeds exists in case of massive destruction, you know, like catastrophic world destruction um and so it it carries every species of of trees and you know vegetables fruits everything it it's it's our world reserve of seeds and there has never been a withdrawal until recently which was in Syria because of the level of the devastation and destruction that's taken place um they They've needed to draw on the seeds that that they had donated before deposited before, but now they needed to withdraw them because of that that devastation and For me, it is so um, it's so disturbing that that's even you know that's something we have to safeguard against because we've reached this place of disassociation and disconnect. Mm-hmm of understanding how sacred everything is all of existence. So if we, if we take, you know, again, that hierarchy of existence and we extend it past what we've ever understood to be greater or less than, and, and we, we allow it to reach even into the soil, you know, and into uh, the earth itself and, and understand that all, Existence has deep worth and meaning and value and divinity.
0: Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I um, I'm curious about the progression of your books. Um, how uh, how you progressed from the first ones. Uh, one of them is called, uh, how to love yourself. Uh, am I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And the progression. Yes.
1: So, um, I love that question. I've actually never been asked that question before. Uh, and, but I've, I was thinking about that personally mm-hmm. and I, and I feel like, um, you know, there's, there's an ancient myth, uh, that's associated with this, uh, Egyptian goddess, um, I mean Mesopotamian, ancient Mesopotamian goddess named Inanna, and she existed you know, I mean all the way they, they can document the existence of her worship into 3000 BC so this is uh, predates any form of Christianity or idea of monotheism and mm-hmm. Inanna um, goes on this journey where she descends into the underworld uh, and she has to pass through these seven gates, wow. um, and at each one of the gates, she has to take off a layer of clothing, like an an article of her previous life. Until when she reaches the underworld, she's completely naked. And I feel like my life, in many ways, ha- has uh, always always been speaking to me with this myth, including once I finally arrived at Mary Magdalene's gospel, which of course talks about seven powers and there, there are seven powers of the ego. Um, and when, when I first came across Inanna's myth, because, um, because Christianity upset me so deeply as a little girl and, um, viscerally, I mean, I, I broke out into hives when I first read the new Testament and so I couldn't really go near Christianity. So I, I started studying all the different voices of the divine feminine and the stories of women and um, of goddesses throughout history and throughout all the different world religions. And so I came across Inanna's myth and I feel like it's it's very similar to the trajectory of the books that I wrote in that in the first one, in Reveal, I, you know, and it, and it's all about, this effort of trying to get more and more naked, of trying to strip myself of, uh, you know, any concern about what someone else would think or, you know, getting to the real truth. You know, what is what is at the bottom of it all? What is the, the real treasure? Like, what am, what's the bare essence of who I am? And the trajectory of the books really follows that. Like, I start and Reveal um, with talking about, the different uh, voices of women that have been silenced and submerged and, and how healing it was for me to be able to learn about, for example, the, the Indian goddess uh, Kali or the green, the Tibetan goddess green Tara. Mm -hmm. And I, and I talk about why their stories are so important and, and meant so much to me. And I include Mary Magdalene, but she's, sort of there among many others. And then in How to Love Yourself, I talk about my relationship to Mary's gospel, but only, you know, only just taking off my jacket. You know, it's just, it's not, it's not quite um, as revealed. It's, it's more Mm -hmm. that was in conversation with a, a Buddhist author who I admire. And we, we really talk about the way that when you can anchor into love within you, you know, the love that we can access and that no one can take from us. You know, um, when when you really learn how to sit inside your own heart, which Mary's gospel taught me, then the vicissitudes and the different, you know, the turbulence, the different uh, cycles that a relationship goes through can be a little less traumatic because you're all the time anchored in your own love, you know? And, and so that was a, that was a a lighter book. Um, But I began to really speak about Mary's gospel more directly. And then the divine feminine Oracle is um, for, for me, it was so phenomenal to do that project because I, I got to use all of this research that I um, completed when I was a divinity student at Harvard, I, I did my master's in comparative religion on the divine feminine, so I knew about all these incredible stories, like Inanna's, um, but also in Hedawana, who was the first high priestess and who dates all the way back to 2500 BCE, and whose poetry uh, about Inanna influenced the Psalms in the New in the Old Testament. So that you know. Finding out about um, these uh, stories, unearthing these stories, um, and in a way, writing the Divine Feminine Oracle right before going into Mary's Mary's gospel was so important to me because it was almost as if they were with me. You know, all those stories of those saints and those mystics and the poets and the gurus and all of these women's voices who had somehow been silenced or submerged like most people have never heard of thecla and yet she ministered right alongside paul so it meant a lot to me to work with an artist and create her uh an idea of what she may have looked like and then to be able to write about her and and it it gave me this strength because Going into Mary the writing Mary Magdalene Revealed was like reaching the underworld. It was like becoming fully naked, finally getting to the truth, the truth, the truth. And that is both terrifying and exhilarating to to finally do, you know, to to finally become the woman that I, you know, I always knew I needed to write this book, but it was almost like all the work before it was preparing me. To reach that point of truth, and depth. It's uh, it's exquisite
0: because um, the um, the same remembering happened to me when I was in my early forties, mm. and uh, I felt uh, I felt every bit of difficulty and uh, and suffering. As a child, which was big, was redeemed by my remembering mary magdalene mm-hmm. and While you were talking, I was sensing the concept of seeds and and what what vaguely uh floated across my heart was. Well, do we believe in reincarnation? Do we believe? But while you were talking, I got this, this concept of there are seeds, seeds. These women are seeded in our souls. Yes, yes. And some of us
1: wake up to the flowering of that seeding. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's gorgeous image, and I feel like I was with with you there in that in that vision that appeared in your heart. And and to me, it's um, because a, a lot of people want to speak of past lives and or want me to speak yeah. of of my belief in reincarnation. Or and what what feels so much more mm-hmm. uh, magnetic to me is exactly what what you just articulated and in this idea of moving the story forward so that right now I have this this unique opportunity because I am human and because I am awakening as a human to my soul, which is so connected and interconnected and seated Mm -hmm. with all these different stories and voices and energies like a lineage, a lineage of love. Beautiful. that is, is speaking now through me and with me so I can move the story forward. Absolutely. And the next word that came
0: is, I always think or feel that we, we come from the same bucket of souls. And <laughs> then, And then while you were talking, I was thinking, drops, Drops of all these women are in our souls. And then I, yeah. was, I was feeling drops and seeds. And, and I'll jump right into it. You know, I, I, um, I've been waiting for the new myths, because I don't want to say there's only one. But yeah. we, we're desperately in need of new myths. Yes, we we will sink if we do not have new myths. Yes, and and, uh, and this book Mary Magdalene revealed to me is is one of the major new myths. <laughs> yes, and you've written it, and <laughs> uh, I am <laughs> I'm joyous. I'm very. I'm, gra-
1: I'm grateful you have the ears to hear it.
0: Very, very joyous about it. So maybe we, you speak to us about the time you were in Gallup, and uh, oh, yeah. yeah, and what what awakening that was for your soul and your heart.
1: For me, it was so powerful because I was beginning to understand that. That hierarchy of existence, how embedded that is, and um, also I was really having to face the Christianity and and what I had walked away from as a little girl um, because I had reacted so powerfully. I just stopped going, you know, and I just uh, buried it in my heart. But but the problem was, I I I had this great love inside of me this great big unsayable love Mm. and and no other religion resonate like you know you know how uh anger and rage really isn't the opposite of love it's it's really apathy or, or complete disinterest you know there's and I began to realize when I was in Gallup New Mexico how deeply upsetting and disturbed i was by that version of christianity that um because i was living with missionaries and then being led around the various reservations by uh, a navajo and um it it was i had to face and really look at what that idea of christianity that was formed in the fourth century what The the real genocide and outcomes of that idea, the the real death that that has happened um, within our culture and society because of that idea that one person, one race, one culture could be greater or less than another. And 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 um, I still get emotional Thinking about the children I worked with and thinking about Gordon House, who, who was the, the Navajo man who, who uh, was teaching me about this disparity of the, the, his reality versus mine as a white woman and the privilege that I'd been born into. And then really asking me um, in, a, in the most powerful way, you know, through, through telling stories, what am I going to do with my privilege what, and what am I going to do to try to tell this story of this great, big, unsable love inside of me, you know, that, that was in direct contradiction to the Christianity I was being exposed to down there? This is a very, um,
0: this is a question I feel timid to ask, but... I want to what is this love that you perceive and how does it manifest itself
1: Well first i would say it's an experience it's something i love the greek word gnosis because it's it's knowing thyself but it's it's knowing in an experiential way so it's not mind it's heart oh it's an actual experience. So this knowing is rooted in our body. It's something we can locate. You know, it's it's not an idea. It's not the intellect. It's not a concept. And there was a form of theo- theology that existed. Um, it, it really died out by the 10th century. But there was a form of theology that existed around the time of of when all of these gospels were being written where to to know the divine meant experience it meant in the heart it meant not an idea not a thought not even something we can de- describe or say out loud it's something when you look at another and i think this is uh, the closest I can come to a description is you see it surface from behind their eyes, if you know what I mean. You mm-hmm. you see, you can witness mm-hmm. that they know this love, that they know this love in the sense that they have encountered it. They have directly experienced it. And it is more real. It is more real than any words could ever be said about it, if that makes sense. And it, to me, it is the truth. It is that truth that's at that's beneath all those layers of the egos. Those seven steps, like when we discard all these ideas of self and all these ideas of who or what we might be, or or it it is what I what I met with, and it is uh, my my encounter of it is is what guides me.
0: Hmm. To me, I mean, I've, I've pondered. On this for a long time, and to me, the ego is um, an artistic manifestation. Yes. <laughs> you yes. know, a creation, a temporary creation. Yes. Uh, once and once only, as uh, Rilke would say. Mm, I love Rilke. I love Rilke. <laughs> tell tell me what what you've um, in your words what you've discovered the ego to be.
1: So first I'd like to say that the ego is necessary. I think I think there's this idea that when we are for example to to locate it back within Mary's gospel, she speaks of seven powers. And these different these various seven powers are ones we can all identify with their their ignorance, their, you know, the compulsion for rage. (laughs) You know, they're 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 what many of us experience at, at different points in our life. But they're just referred to as powers in her gospel. Much later, hundreds of years later, they become the seven deadly sins and they become, quote unquote, demonized, you know, as 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 if having an ego or being human, you know, because we, I think we have to have an ego in order to be human. I think it's what we sign up for. It's kind of like the ingredients label for being human is these seven different, you know, powers. Yes, yes, yes. But we don't need to feel guilty or shame or, you know, a sense of failure every time we find ourselves in one of these powers. I think it's The whole point is to wake up while we're within them and to try to get more and more adept, you know, when we realize we're coming from our ego so we can have awareness and choose to return to the heart if we're able to in that moment. So, for example, when someone comes at us with their ego, (laughs) we can feel it. We know, you know, if they're envious, if they're enraged at us, if you know, we know if they're coming from a place of fear, we, we can feel it. And we all can become more and more adept at recognizing when someone's coming at us with ego. What happens is that we fall into this ignorance, this darkness, oh, yeah. where where we just habitually reply to them then from our ego too. Yeah. And so it's just ego speaking to ego rather than the ideal, which is this Latin phrase I love so much, cor ad cor loquidor, heart speaks to heart, heart directly. Speaks to heart. Yes. 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 Which is what you're able to do because you're able to be within your heart. And and so then it, it allows me to speak from mine so easily. You know, that this is effortless, this interview for me, because you're in your heart, you're speaking from a, a place of truth. Yes. And and it's very, very different when someone's coming at me from a place of ego it's i have to take a moment and choose to wake up before i respond to them with my ego and and that that practice is not perfect and it's not meant to be it's not meant to be it's it's very imperfect and it the degree the degree of our response of course is more heated the more mm-hmm. invested we are in that relationship so if it's our child or our partner or you know, a boss, like it's, it's much more difficult than to return to the heart. But I think for me, the ego is crucial. It's just that we don't want to live our lives blindly dedicated to it, you know, (laughs) devoted to the ego, rather relocate and be anchored in the heart and be able to wake up each time we find ourselves in one of these powers so that we, we have the choice to respond Soul to soul, rather than ego to ego beautiful and and in my
0: experience, uh, once I found the home of my heart, <laughs> that's where I want to return to, even yes. after after pain or hatred or whatever right. i that home is is my home, so yes
1: yes. You
0: know, I since uh, two hours ago, I've been um, I've been in this uh, thought that you see uh, your book is so delicious to me that I want people to know that deliciousness, <laughs> and I don't usually do this, but I was wondering if you we have a few minutes left. If you would read from that chapter the first power darkness what mm-hmm. we have forgotten mm. uh, I would love to you want me to read from that chapter I would I would like that because your writing has to be tasted <laughs> uh, yeah Thank you. so Read as much as you want, or uh, you you probably know it very well, so if you want to (laughs) skip paragraphs, whatever you want to do, but, but come to us from what you have
1: written. The first power, darkness, what we have forgotten. If I could start over from the beginning, I would start with the most invisible, the threads in the web of our ecosystem that are rarely named, much less revered. I would start by listing the names of the trees, the flowers, the seeds that carry the light, that give us life. Because this is what we have forgotten. This is where our reverence has not yet reached. I would start with frankincense and myrrh, with the boswellia and camphora trees that made them. I would start with the honeybee and the sweet essential nectar it feeds on. I would start first with what goes unnoticed, with what we haven't realized is the most sacred among us. I would start with the names of everyone we've excluded, of the street children, of the millions slowly starving to death in plain daylight. I would start with the outsiders, the outcasts. I would start with every one of us who thinks we aren't worthy of love just as we are. I would say each of their names, each of our names, who have been made into objects, who have been violated, who have had to survive by leaving the body altogether. I would list the names of all the mothers who have known the unspeakable joy of gradually knitting life within her, of bringing life from the dark into the light. The mothers who have no idea where their heart is anymore now that it is also outside of them. The mothers who remind us no matter who we are that our first country was a woman's body and our first element was water, and that our first reality was darkness. If I could write the beginning, it wouldn't be in the light. It would be in the womb, in the dark, in a cave, in an egg. Mm. It would be to name all that has been left out of what's holy, the blood, the body. Nothing real or imagined has ever happened without it. If I could start again, I would install an altar within me. I would place the most sacred object inside it, my own heart. If I could start again, I would know that the only cathedral I've ever needed to find, to enter, to return to, again and again, is this humble red hermitage, this mystical space that holds all the answers. I would begin again inside my heart, and I would live this way speaking from it. Hmm. <laughs> okay.
0: Here it's who may. <laughs> uh, thank you. Now thank- we're uh, we're coming to the to the end of this particular thread um mm-hmm. in our tapestry together. Um Please tell us what, uh, what you'd like to uh, take a moment and uh, speak to the people who have received uh, this, uh, this communion and, uh, and tell them what you'd like and tell us what you'd like to say in closing.
1: That love is within. That, that is a truth that we can actually rely on and begin to experience more and more often and come home to because once we experience it we crave it we crave that mm-hmm. truth and we can distinguish between love and and the various forms of the ego and we we desire to go home again and again and to be with this heaven that's already right here this love that's within us
0: mm-hmm.
1: Well, I have to say
0: that uh, I love you. I love you for listening, <laughs> and I love you for the power and dedication of writing it down.
1: Okay, thank you. I can feel. I can feel your love. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I'm so grateful for someone who witnessed me so fully. Okay. <laughs> All right. Next time. thank you it's an honor it's an honor to speak with you truly
0: yeah Yeah. it's it's beautiful to uh, well it's that's the thing is when when you connect from the heart (laughs) even in in, or in the grocery store what you know with when you connect from the heart it's all honor isn't it yeah yeah yeah